0: have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would please uh, bless the next few moments as we uh, open your word. Lord, I pray that you'd give me clarity of mind. Lord, help me to be able to say the things that you would have me to say. Lord, help us as we uh, just finish uh, these uh, thoughts on the subject of prayer. pray that you'd bless also, Lord, the fellowship to come. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Joshua, chapter number uh, 9, and... Uh, I don't know if you remember me saying this, but we, we've, been, we've been preaching through a series on prayer on Wednesday night, and this is the last sermon on the subject of prayer. And uh, next Wednesday night, uh, we're going to begin a, a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of James. In the New Testament, right after the book of Hebrews, you have the book of James. I want to uh, tell you that, so you'll start reading the book of James, at least the first chapter, and be ready next Wednesday night as we uh, will be studying the book of James for the next several weeks. Uh, We're finishing this uh, series on uh, prayer and this is the ninth uh, sermon on the subject of prayer and uh, I'm not going to be teaching you anything new in regards to prayer. I do want to just kind of just quickly review the different things that we've talked about in prayer. If you remember the very first week uh, uh, we talked about uh, the sermon was entitled the effectual fervent prayer and we saw that idea of Elias was a man subject to like passions, like as we are, out of James. And we saw this idea that Elijah or Elias was able to get his prayers answered in a very mighty way, but he was a man subject to like passions as we are, meaning that God wants to answer our prayers just as much as He wants to answer Elijah's prayer. The second uh, sermon in the series, we talked about the types of prayer. Remember, there's a prayer of supplication, a prayer of intercession, and a prayer of appreciation when we come to God with thanksgiving. We talked about prayer being the great type. Tith- Saver, and I know our uh, our nature is to want to just kind of get started with our day. But we learned from Scripture that when we take the time to pray and we involve God in our lives, it actually helps us save time uh, in regards to prayer. Uh, we talked about praying through the Lord's uh, Prayer. Remember, uh, we're not to uh, we're not to just vainly repeat the Lord's Prayer but it is a good idea to pray through the different sections of the Lord's Prayer I uh, gave you some practical tips on prayer the sermon after that we talked about promises for answered prayer remember God gives us all these different promises uh, he says if you do this if you do that I'll answer your prayer and we talked about those things we a t- couple weeks uh, last couple weeks talking about prayer and fasting and uh, just different ideas there the first sermon about prayer and fasting had to do with just kind of the rules of fasting and what it means to fast and then last week we talked about kind of the benefits of fasting and what fasting uh, does in in our lives and and uh, you know maybe you weren't here for all those and and they're all on our website i would encourage you if you missed any of those to go back and kind of listen to those Uh, tonight i kind of want to just deal with with one idea uh, and we'll do it quickly we won't uh, spend a lot a lot of time on it if you look at joshua chapter number nine if you remember the children of israel Just to kind of give you an idea of what's going on in the book of Joshua, uh, Moses brought them out of Egypt and they wandered in. Uh, in the wilderness for 40 years. And Moses dies, and Joshua is the leader that comes up after him. And Joshua is now leading the children of Israel from the wilderness into uh, the promised land, into Canaan land. And they've already, in chapter 9, they've already been in the land for a while. They've already won some victories. They uh, won the battle of Jericho, and they uh, had their little misfortune in Ai where they lost and then they won again afterwards. They've already had a couple of victories when Moses was leading in the wilderness and they're they're coming in and they're 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 doing really well you know God, God's really blessing and they're starting to take this land over and I want you to just notice in Joshua chapter 9 that Joshua and the children of Israel were at this moment actively engaged in warfare. If you look at verse 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass when all the kings which were on this side Jordan, in the hills and in the valleys and in all the coasts of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Persites and the Hivites and the Jabezites heard thereof. So he's talking about all the kings that are on this side of Jordan because they remember they crossed the Jordan River. And when all the kings have heard of basically the success of Joshua, The fact that they're winning these battles. The fact that they're taking over uh, the land. Notice verse 2. That they gathered themselves together. So, who gathered themselves together? The people of Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. I mean, this is a huge coalition of different nations that have gathered uh, together to fight, notice, with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. So, you got all these nations coming together, the Bible says, with one accord, and they've got one agenda. They want to stop Joshua, they want to stop Israel. And I mean, I think you would agree that if Joshua came into Canaan, took over Jericho, took over Ai, they've got a couple of uh, uh, kings they've already beat on the other side of Jordan. They're coming in, you know, with all this might and power, and now you've got all these kings that are gathered together and form a coalition to fight. I mean, these guys are in the middle of a fight. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Keep your finger there in Joshua chapter 9. That's the text for tonight. But go with me to Ephesians chapter number 6 in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and then you've got the book of Ephesians. When you get to Ephesians, uh, go to Ephesians chapter 6. But when you get to Ephesians, put a bulletin down or a ribbon down or a bookmark or something. Because we're going to go back and forth from Joshua chapter 9 to Ephesians chapter 6 a little bit. So Ephesians chapter 6... I'd like you to look at verse number 12, and I want you to notice this. Just as Joshua and the children of Israel were engaged in warfare, you and I right now are engaged in spiritual warfare. This is a very well-known verse. We've seen it many times in our church, but let's look at it again. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 says this, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, the Bible tells us here that we are not wrestling against flesh and blood. Sometimes it's easy to get distracted over the people in our lives that are giving us problems. And we, we look at people as if they're the ones... That, are, that we're fighting against, and we got to understand this, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This is a spiritual fight. It's a spiritual warfare. And yes, sometimes people fight us, but it's not really people fighting us as much as it is the, the forces of hell that are using these people as pawns to fight us. Uh, you know, we, we talked about the fact that uh, uh, we, uh, a group of us spent some time down in the Capitol uh, this morning, and, and that's good, and, and, and I'm glad we did that, and it's good to do that from time to time, and especially with big deals like the law that's coming down right now, but you know what, it would be easy for us to get this idea that all our problems are just political problems, as long as we can get, you know, these, these politicians to do right, or that would fix all our issues, and here's what we understand, our problem is not the politicians'. See, the politicians are just under control of Satan. The politicians are just under control, uh, and and the media and the government and everything is under the agenda of of Satan and the devils that are fighting with Satan, and we've got to understand, and from time to time, we do have to just kind of be Americans and stand up for civil liberties and all those things, but we've got to understand, the battle that we're in is a spiritual battle. It is a spiritual warfare. The Bible says that uh, Satan walketh about As a roaring lion seeking whom he made devour. We need to understand, and, and I don't know that we really understand this, and and I say this, and say it, and say it, and, and, and we and, and we say, yeah, well, I understand what you're saying, but I don't think we really grasp, every day, you and I, every day, we wake up, see, we wake up, and, and and you know, we get our coffee, and we get our, whatever it is you eat in the morning, your donut, or your cereal, or your yogurt, or whatever, and, 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 and we go through our day, and, and we're just, you know, Americans living in, 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 in prosperity, and in peace, but you got to understand this, every time you wake up, you got to understand that you are in a battle, you are in war, there are demons, there are devils, there is a Satan that wants to destroy you, wants to destroy your life, wants to destroy your marriage, wants to destroy your children, you just got to see, Joshua could not get up and just say, I'm just Joshua today, and I'm just kind of, you know, moseying around and doing, every day he woke up, he realized there are 10 nations out there that are planning and plotting to fight against him. And you and I need to wake up every day realizing that there is a whole world out there controlled by Satan that is planning and plotting to fight against us. We're in a spiritual warfare. Now keep your finger there in in, in Ephesians, but go back to Joshua chapter 9 and let me show you something about the enemy. The enemy that Joshua had was a deceitful enemy. Because see, sometimes we get distracted. And that's what Satan wants. Sometimes we get our focus, and I'm sure Joshua had a huge focus at this time on those nations that had gathered together to fight against them. These nations had become a coalition to fight against the children of Israel, and he will fight them, and he will beat them later on in the book of Joshua. But while he's distracted by these nations, there comes another nation that he's not as worried about. Look at verse 3. Joshua chapter 9 and verse 3. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and to Ai, they did, <coughs> excuse me, they did work. Man, I, I feel like every once in a while my voice just kind of goes out. They did work, and I want you to notice this word, wilily. Do you see that word, wilily? Now that word does not come up a lot in scripture and that word wily means deceitful it means cunning it means trickery it means meant to fool it means someone who's trying to trick you or fool you or deceive you or lie to you every time i i, I talk about this word in scripture i like to talk you you might have remembered it when you're a kid uh you might remember wily coyote remember wily coyote you know, what was he trying to do to that roadrunner? He's always trying to, to, to kill him, right? But how was he trying to do He's trying to trick him. You know, he's trying to get him to run into a wall, you know, and make, make it look like there was a tunnel there or something, you know. And that's a silly, but that's why he was called Wiley, because he was deceitful. He was cunning. He was a trickster. He's always getting these tricks from Acme, right? And he's trying to blow these people up or whatever. And, but see, the Bible says that the enemies, these Gibeonites, when they came... Now, here's, here's what you understand. Joshua is focused on these tribes, these nations that are trying to destroy him and trying to kill him. But then here comes these Gibeonites, and they did work, verse 4, wilily. They worked deceitfully and went and made, make note of these words, as if. Could you see that? As if. Now, why, what are they doing? They're pretending. They went and made as if they had been ambassadors. Now, they weren't ambassadors and took old sacks upon their asses, and wine bottles, old and rent, and bound up. Now, don't, don't miss what's going on here. When they went as if they had been ambassadors, they took, initially, they took with them old sacks upon their asses, and wine bottles, old and rent, and bound up. Notice verse 5. And old shoes, and clouded upon their feet, and old garments upon them. And all the brand of their provision was dry and moldy. Now they take these things on this trip, already old, already moldy, already old garments, already old shoes, already old socks, already uh, 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 old sacks and those things. Look at verse 6. And they went to Joshua unto the camp at Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel. Now notice what they said. We become from a far country. Now, here's their wilyness. Here's their deceitfulness. Here's their trick. They said, we're coming from a far country. Now, they're lying. Okay, they're not coming from a far country. They didn't travel very far at all. We become from a far country. Now, therefore, make ye a league with us. So here's what they're saying. They're saying, we came from a long ways away. So, will you make a league with us? Will you make a treaty with us? Will you uh, have peace with us? Now, you, you, you may think, well, what's the problem with that? Here's the problem with that. God had already told the nation of Israel that they were supposed to go into Canaan and they weren't supposed to take any prisoners. Uh, I mean, they, they were supposed to take prisoners. Let me, let me rephrase that. They weren't supposed to make any leagues. They weren't supposed to make any uh, treasons. They were supposed to go in and conquer the land. There was no treaties to be made. There was no leagues to be made. There was no peace to be had. These were enemies of God and they would destroy the children of Israel if they allowed them to say. And by the way, that's what happened. Read the book of Judges. What happened, the whole story of the book of Judges is all these nations that they allowed to stay ended up corrupting the children of Israel and they ended up going to bondage and God had to send them into uh, slavery and he sent judges to free them. So the whole point was not just to come in, conquer the land, take over. But now you have these Gibeonites saying, hey, look at verse 6. We become from a far country. We're coming from a long ways away. Now they're lying. Now therefore make ye a league with us. And the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, peradventure. Now that word perve- it means perhaps. They said, well, perhaps. They said, well, what if ye dwell among us? And how shall we make a league with you? So here's what they said. They said, well, what? They said, well, we don't know who you are. We, we don't know where you came from. They said, what if Perhaps, perventure, you actually dwell among us. You're actually one of our neighbors. You actually live near us. And if that's the case, then we cannot make a league with you because we're supposed to come in and overtake you. Verse 8. And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. Say, we're, we're not here to serve you. I mean, we're not here to, 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 to attack you. We're, we're here to serve you. We're your friends. And Joshua said unto them, Who are ye? And from whence come ye? And they said unto him, From a very far country. That's a lie. Thy servants are come because of the name of the Lord thy God, for we have heard the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt. They said, we're here because we've heard of everything that you've done and all the battles that you've won. We're from a far country. Here's what they're saying. You don't have to worry about us, Joshua. You don't have to worry about us being your neighbor and causing you any problems. We came from a far country and we've just heard about you. And we just want to make sure that our relationship with you is okay. We want to make a league. With you, want to have a treaty with you. Look at verse 10. And all that he did to the two kings, they said, here's what we've heard. We've heard of the fame of him and of all that he did in Egypt. Verse 9. And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites, verse 10, that were beyond Jordan, to Zihon, king of the Heshbon, and Ah, king of Bashan, which was at Ashtaroth, verse 11, wherefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to us, saying, take victuals with you for the journey, and go to meet them, and say unto them, we are your servants, therefore now make ye a league with us. Now here's where the trickery comes in, because you understand, and verse 11 is true. Their elders really did send them to go make a league with uh, Joshua because they've heard of the great victories that Joshua uh, is, is having. But here's the lie. They're telling them they live far away. And by the way, that's usually how Satan tricks us. He makes it a little truth with the lie. Now, now here's where the trickery comes in. Verse 12. This is our bread. We took hot for our provision out of our houses on the day that we came forth to go unto you. Now is that true or not? That's a lie. That we already read, they took the bread when it was old. But they said, look, look at our moldy bread. When we left on our trip, this, this came straight out of the oven. This was hot for our provision out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you. But now, behold, it is dry and moldy. And these bottles of wine which we filled were new. And behold, they be rent. And these our garments and our shoes are become old by reason of the very long journey. So here's what they say. They look at our clothes. They're so old. Look at our wine bottles. They're rent and and they're empty. Look at our bread. It's moldy. We've been traveling for a long time. We're we're coming from a far country, Joshua. And here's what I want you to understand. Look at verse verse 4 again. They did work wildly, deceitfully, tricksters. They're trying to fool Joshua. Now here's what's interesting about that word. It doesn't come up that much in our King James Bible. But in Ephesians chapter 6, if you get back there, we read in verse number 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. But I want you to notice verse number 11. In verse 12 we're told that we're fighting a spiritual battle, but verse 11 says this, put on the whole armor of God. Well, why would we put on the whole armor of God? Because we're fighting a spiritual battle. Put on the whole armor of God. Notice this, that ye may be able to stand against the, notice that word, wiles of the devil. Same word. See, you know how Satan works? He's he's, uh, devious. He's cunning. He's deceitful. He's a liar. In fact, when, the, when God tells us to put on the whole armor of God, He says, You need to put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And you find this all throughout Scripture. Keep, keep your finger there in Ephesians 6 because we're going to go back and forth. But go with me just real quickly to John chapter number 8. John chapter number 8. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. In John chapter number 8 and look at verse number 44. John chapter 8, verse 44. Here's what you got to understand about Satan he's a trickster, he's a deceiver. He's a liar. He will trick you. He works Though We have to stand against the wiles of the devil. John chapter 8, look at verse 44. John chapter number 8, verse 44. Ye, notice what Jesus is here speaking to the Pharisees, and notice what he says. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Now he's talking about the devil, right? Notice what he says about the devil. And abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. According to Jesus, Satan, the devil, is a liar. He's the father of lies. He's the one that began lies. He's the first one to lie ever in Scripture. There is no truth in him. He's a deceiver. He is a trick, uh, a trickster. He wants to trick you by being wily, and we must uh, stand against the wiles of the devil. Go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Remember Genesis uh, 3, the story of uh, Adam and Eve? Remember that they weren't supposed to eat of the tree, knowledge of good and evil. They ended up eating of it. When God is confronting them in regards to what they've done there, Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 13. I want you to notice what Eve said. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 13. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 13 says this, And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, notice what she says, The serpent. Now we know the serpent is Satan, right? Because Revelation tells us that he's a serpent, he's a dragon, he's, a dragon, he's Satan, he's a devil. The serpent, notice what she says, beguiled me. That word beguiled means he deceived me. He tricked me. The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. So according to Eve, how did Satan get her to commit the first sin? She was deceived. She was beguiled by the serpent. She was tricked. And that's why Jesus said that he is the father uh, of lies. He brought the first lie. Here's what Jesus said. Satan works wildly okay notice that word beguiled it means to deceive or trick go back to uh joshua chapter nine joshua chapter nine look at verse 22 joshua chapter nine verse 22 joshua chapter nine in verse 22 joshua chapter nine in verse 22 the bible says this and joshua called for them and he spake unto them saying wherefore have you beguiled us do you see that talking to the Gibeonites. He said, "Wherefore have you beguiled us, saying we are very far from you when ye dwell among us?" So here's what we're he going to say. This is and this is after Joshua found out the truth. Here's what you understand. Joshua is being tricked. Joshua's being made to see something that isn't actually true. He perceives something and he thinks it's something, but it's not true. He's being tricked by the enemy. The enemy has evidence to say, hey, look, this is what we are, this is what we're about, this is what we want. But what he's seeing is a lie. And here's what you're gonna understand. Satan, go back to Ephesians chapter six. Satan is a deceiver, Satan is a trickster, Satan is a liar, and when he comes to you, see, when he comes to you, you and and I think the attack is going to come from the 10 nations that are forming the coalition against us. But when he comes, he comes as the Gibeonites with moldy bread and old clothes. And he says, you don't have to worry about me. I'm not going to hurt you. I just want to be your friend. And here's what you are saying. And so often when we mess up and so often when we make mistakes, it's not because our guards down. But it's because we're not watching. And we're allowing ourselves to be deceived. So many people make the wrong choices in their lives and they end up causing great sins in their lives. And they say, well, I just I I didn't see it that way at the time. I just thought it was going to turn out different. The way it was presented to me, I just thought it would be different when they don't realize that they were being deceived. They are being lied to. Because Satan is a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a beguiler. He's a trickster. You say, well, what what does all this have to do with prayer? Go back to Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6, we're told, hey, you got to put on the armor of God so that you're able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. Now, Ephesians chapter 6 is known for being the passage about the armor of God. Let's just read it real quickly. Verse 13, it says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, verse 14, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. So, he gives us the armor of God here. And this is the first uh, one of, those, uh, of the parts of the armor. The first thing he says, to have the loins girt about with truth and having on, number two, the breastplate of righteousness. Number three, and your feet shod with the preparation of peace. Number four, verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and verse 17 take number 5 the helmet of salvation and number 6 the sword of the spirit which is the word of God so here he gives us these 6 different aspects of the armor of God that we're supposed to put on we're supposed to be good about with truth we're supposed to have the breastplate of righteousness we're supposed to uh, have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. taking the shield of faith the helmet of salvation the sword of the spirit now here's what I want you to see okay and this is not normally Uh, added to the idea of the armor of God. But I want you to understand the context, okay? In in, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, we're told that we have to put on the armor of God because Satan wants to attack us with his wiles, with his lies, with his deceit, with his deception, with his trickery. We're told to put on the whole armor of God. We're giving this great passage with the armor of God. But I just want you to notice verse number 18. Praying. Always. Do you see that? See, when, it, when, when Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, said, You got to fight the devil. You got to fight the enemy. You got to be ready for his deceptions. You got to be ready for his wiles. He's gonna trick you. He's gonna lie to you. He's gonna deceive you. You gotta put on the whole armor of God. And He gives us all these different things in that context. In the very next verse, He says, Oh, and before I forget, by the way, when you're going to engage in spiritual warfare, you need to be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. You gotta understand this. If you and I are going to engage in spiritual warfare, The greatest weapon that we have is the weapon of prayer. You say, well, all these other weapons are good. They're good. But you understand, most of the armor is defensive. Armor of God, uh, you know, it's to protect us. The, the, The word of the Spirit is for us to engage in battle. But here's the problem with the sword of the Spirit. Here's the problem with the sword. You can only engage... One individual at a time. If you're if you're in a sword fight, uh, maybe I don't know, maybe two or three. If you're really good, I guess. But you're not you're not you're not nuking a whole you know city. You know what I mean? See, here's what you gotta understand. There's there's man to man combat, but then there's prayer, which is big I mean it's coming from heaven it, it, it's it's like bringing it's like sending in uh the 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 the, the planes and the jets to give you coverage. you understand prayer is big and Paul when, when he talks about this spiritual warfare he said he says put on all these different things that you got to put on make sure you got the sword of the spirit the helmet of salvation the yield of faith you know all those things girding yourself with truth the gospel of peace make sure you have all those things but he said before I forget don't forget don't ever engage without prayer he said prayer is a big thing I mean, could you imagine if you and I were out in war right now? We were out somewhere in Iraq or whatever, fighting. I know we're not in Iraq, supposedly, but we are, you know. But, you know, if we were out somewhere and, and, and you've got, you you know, you've got a tank coming towards you and you've got, you know, an M-16 rifle or, you know, a bazooka, okay, which one are you going to use? You know, are you going to use the the rocket launcher? Now, look, there's nothing wrong with an M-16 rifle. Nothing wrong with a, you know... With a rifle, rifles are good, but a rifle's not going to do anything against a tank. Do you understand that? If I, got a, if I got a rocket launcher, can you guys help him out with that? Appreciate it. If, you guys have a, if I have a rocket launcher, hey, I, I'm going to use the rocket launchers. Do you understand that? But see, in our spiritual lives with prayer, often we forget about the, one of the most powerful weapons we have. Now, go back to, go back to Joshua chapter 9. We're all, we'll, we'll be done here in a second. I know the pizza showed up, so we got to be done. Joshua chapter 9. I want you to just understand this, okay? Paul says, you're in a spiritual warfare, put on all these different things. Grab your sword, grab your shield, grab your helmet, grab your thing. I can imagine that every day that Joshua woke up with having this threat from all these neighboring, you know, this coalition of, I can imagine that every day he woke up, he put his shoes on, he put his helmet on, he grabbed his sword, he grabbed his shield. I would imagine that he put all those things on because he knew at any moment we could go fight. At any moment we can get attacked. At any moment we could fight. But you know the one thing that Joshua forgot to do? pray. So what are you talking about? Look at verse 14. And the men took their victuals. Okay, the victuals are the food supplies. Remember, the Gibeonites, they come and they said, hey, you know, uh, here's our moldy bread and here's our old shoes and here's our worn out clothes. Look, my horse is tired. I mean, we've been traveling a long ways. We're not your neighbors. We're not here to hurt you. We're not here to beguile you. We've traveled a long ways. Notice, and the men took their victuals and asked not. Counsel at the mouth of the Lord. What does James chapter 4 and verse 2 say? Ye have not, because ye ask not. And the greatest weapon they had was to involve God, who's never lied to, who's never tricked, who's never deceived, who always knows the right thing to do, And every day Joshua would get up and pick up his sword and pick up his shield and pick up his helmet and put on his shoes and gird himself out and he said, I'm ready to fight. And when he really needed it, he didn't involve the greatest weapon he had because he asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And what happened? Verse 15, Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live, and the princes of the congregation swore to them. He sinned against God because he did something he wasn't supposed to do. They ended up causing all these problems because they were, they, now they had to protect them because they made a league with them. Even, even as you read into First and Second Samuel, you know, and you read about David, you know, David has to deal with these Gibeonites because Saul decided to kill them, you know, fight against them and break the league that Joshua made. Even years and years and years, you know, later, they're dealing with this, this problem of the Gibeonites. Why? Because they forgot to pray. Because they forgot to ask counsel at the mouth of God. If they would have just gone to God and said, God, what are we supposed to do here? I'm not really sure. It looks one way and I think it might be the right thing. But God, what would you have us to do? God would say, I'll tell you exactly what to do. You know, you go take over those Gibeonites right now because they're lying to you. They're deceiving you. They're beguiling you. And here's what you understand. Every day you and I get up And if we, if we, because most Christians don't, but if we pick up our sword, and if we get ready for battle, and if we, you know, go to church, and if we spend devotional time. But here's the thing, most of us skip our prayer time with God. And you're going to engage in battle with a sword, which is great. But you can involve God through prayer and have God lead you and have God help you. Let's just look at two verses real quick. We'll be done. Go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6. You say, are you saying something against the sword? There's nothing wrong with the sword. The sword's good. But let's not just fight with the sword when we have the arsenal and the power of God. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Notice what the Bible says. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Do you understand that you and I have the power of God, the might of God? We have access to the power of God. You say, well, how do we have the access to the power of God? Through prayer. By involving God, by involving God in the things that we can do. But so often we go off into battle without praying. And Joshua went into battle that day. Not how he expected. He said these guys are here to, they're ambassadors, we're not fighting and that was that was a battle. And he wasn't ready because he did not pray. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. We'll be done. You're there in Ephesians. You go past Philippians, past Colossians, past First and 2 Thessalonians, First and 2 Timothy, Titus. You pass all those t-books. Go to Philemon and then Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. We're, we're done with the prayer series. I just want to end showing you this one verse. We've looked at it before and, and we'll be done. Next week we'll start James. Hebrews chapter 4. Look at verse 12. What would happen if we developed some prayer warriors who woke up every day and said, you know what, before I go into battle, I'm going to pray. Before I go into battle, I'm going I'm to bring God and engage God in my battles today. Because I get tricked and I get deceived and I get lied to. And sometimes I can't figure out what's true and what's not. But God never gets tricked. I'm going to involve God. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says this. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So I want to leave you with this idea as we wrap up this, I- this series on prayer. We've learned all sorts of different things about prayer. But don't go into battle, Joshua, without asking counsel at the mouth of God. And here's what you gotta understand. Tomorrow morning, you're going to get out of your bed and you're going to battle. And the next day, you're going into battle. And every day you're in battle. You say, well, it doesn't look like it. I mean, I, I'm, I don't, I'm not fighting the Gibeonites. I mean, look at them. They're coming in with moldy bread. I, I'm fighting these guys. Without, it doesn't look like battle. You gotta understand, that's what Satan wants it to look like. He wants it to seem like, I'm not in spiritual warfare, but you're in spiritual warfare every day. And the, one of the greatest weapons we have is uh, prayer. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer.